Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Brian Kaplan, professor of economics at George Mason University, blogger for Econlog, author of a number of books, including The Myth of the Rational Voter, Selfish Reasons to Have More Kids, and The Case Against Education and Open Borders as well. And here he is back on Coast to Coast. He was last with me a little bit more than a year ago. Brian, good to have you back with us. Great to be back. <clears throat> what a time to be back, huh? Yeah, you know, so I'm actually teaching two re- uh, classes in real life, so I'm really grateful for that, but I'm one of the very few that is. Well, you know, I just had this story before you came on about all these universities concerned about uh, what's going to happen with their classes. They open up and they might have to close. Is, on the, is, it, is online education worth it, in your opinion? Well, here's the thing. If you're doing it through a regular university, then probably the world won't even notice what you've done. Uh, you know, you basically, you know, like after a few years, people probably even forget exactly what was going on, and you'll be able to look just like anybody else. On the other hand, if you just try going to YouTube and teaching yourself the material, the labor market is not generally going to give you credit for that. So and you may say, but it's just as good. Why should I have to pay any money? Um, Unfortunately, when you do something like that, you look pretty weird, and the world holds holds it against you. Now, you haven't been too happy with our educational industry in the past. How come? Uh, Gee, I mean, where do I start? So, (laughs) the main main thing that I say is that most of what you learn in school is not actually useful in the real world, and yet, strangely, it does seem like employers care a lot about it. And in my book, The Case Against Education, I explain that. The real story is probably that employers are using your academic performance just to screen out people that they think aren't going to work out as employees. So if you've got 100 applications and it's not that hard to finish college, you might very well say, fine, then I'll throw out all the people that didn't finish college, and that will save me a lot of time. And, yeah, maybe there will be some good applicants who didn't go to college, but they're just too hard to sort out from the people that just didn't have the brains or motivation to get through. So anyway, uh, what I basically say is that we've created a system where, from the point of view of the individual student, college is a pretty good deal as long as you are able to finish. But on the other hand, from the point of view of society, it's mostly just spending four, five, six years learning a bunch of stuff you're never going to use after the final exam. And isn't, Brian, the best education working out there in the field? Yeah, absolutely. So the way that I, that I like to describe it is that people like to think of education as job training, and a more accurate story is that education is mostly a passport to the real training, which happens on the job. The problem is that for most high-skilled jobs, unless you have those credentials, you're not going to get your foot in the door to get the real training that you actually want. You, you have used March as a stepping stone, as a point guide. Tell me why. Excuse me, March? The, the month of March. Was there anything different in uh, March? Oh, well, March is when there was the big shutdown, of course, all over the country. So, you know, universities all over the country shut down, schools over the country shut down. So that's where, that's where basically online education went from being a really weird thing to something that almost everyone in college was doing. So I think it has been destigmatized by quite a bit. Again, the main issue is just that still, if you just try doing the same thing for free on YouTube, you're probably not going to get credit for that uh, in the labor market. It's all well and good to say, oh, well, I know just as much as someone who actually paid for the classes, but 
from from employer's point of view, it's just too hard to know whether that's true, and they don't want to take the time to go and figure out whether some person who says that they know it all and they learned to talk themselves really did. What percent, Brian, are schools and universities open uh, this fall as opposed to uh, being uh, shut down because of COVID? Yeah. So at my own university, I read a local newspaper article claiming that 40% of the classes are, are happening in person. But when I walk around the campus, I have trouble believing 10% are. So I don't actually have the numbers even for my own university, but it sure looks like almost everything is is happening online, and there's just a very small number of classes that are really happening. Again, it does you know, vary a lot from school to school. So I know, you know UVA, for example, claimed they were going to open, and then they delayed for two weeks. That's so you know, University of Virginia uh, in my home state. Uh, and then you know, there's a few schools sort of in college towns where they have invested a lot in testing, and they're also just telling the students not to leave campus. So whether they can actually get away with that, maybe in a remote school you could get away with it. But, yeah, it, it is a, an issue, of course, all over the country as to what they're going to do. And basically most schools are just opting for the path of, uh, of extreme caution, uh, which, again, I think is just a, a really bad idea. But you know, the people that are in charge would much, much, much rather just avoid getting into any trouble than actually stick their necks out and try to make the experience tolerable again. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think the best way to defeat this virus is to hide from it and and to run away from it. I think we've got to face it you know, front on, and we've got to get people to expose to it, let them build up immunities, and go from there. And I, I have recommended we open up everything again. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, what I would say is that the reasonable caution makes sense. For certain uh, people. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah for, yeah, for certain people. So, uh, you know, so, you know, like, like if, if I knew that someone had it, I probably, you know, like at my age, I would want to go and try, try to catch their, catch their germs, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to see friends or go places or do things. So, again, you know, and, it, and it's one where, you know, again, the, you know, the risk, I would say, is, you know, a lot more than flu, but it's still a lot less than many other historic diseases that people did not shut down society for. So, you know, like, you know, the path of, you know, like a moderate caution, I think would, it would, have made, made a, would have made a lot of sense. But, of course, that's not the path that people took. It took the path of, what I would say, is paranoia. See, the CDC is saying that most of the people who have died from COVID, well over 90 percent, had prior conditions of other serious mm-hmm. illnesses and things like that. So the big question is, mm-hmm. is had they not had those illnesses, what would the percent of d- deaths have been if they were normally pretty healthy, and and I would say it would have been negligible. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, so you know, it's, it's a very reasonable question. I mean, you know, like also a lot of the problem is that basically, as far as I can tell, no country on earth will do voluntary paid human experimentation, where which would be a fantastic way of finding out answers to basically every difficult question in two to four weeks. Right? Again, this is not. Doing doing anything crazy this is not making anyone anyone participate. It's just saying here's some money. If you will voluntarily participate in these experiments, you will receive money, and we will get answers. But you know, I don't know of any country that's willing to actually do this. Um, you know, there's this idea this is bioethical. You know, my favorite line is you know, bioethics is to ethics as astrology is to astronomy. Right? It's really just a list of terrible ethical precepts of saying that even when people want to go and 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 uh, contribute to developing extremely useful knowledge, and they consent to do it. Nevertheless, still, you can't do it. What do you think of homeschooling, Brian? Yeah, so I have been homeschooling my older sons for five years, so obviously I'm pretty supportive. 
Uh, since March, uh, I've actually been homeschooling my two younger kids. Uh, I guess the main thing I would say about homeschooling during normal times is that it's not uh, it's it's a great option for some people. Uh, it's not great for everybody. So if you're someone who has a lot of job flexibility and you have a lot of patience and you've got kids that are interested in doing it, then it's great. Uh, on the other hand, if you have someone where neither parent in the family has a job that fits well with it, if the kids, uh, if you don't have a lot of patience with kids, if the kids just don't like being in homeschool, then I'd say it's not such a good idea. I would say now, whenever I see people that are watching their kids do Zoom school, that's where I say, like, you totally should do homeschool, right? I mean, even if you don't have a lot of patience, even if you've got a job conflict, you might as well just go and teach your own kids rather than sit over their shoulders and be, and be their monitor. Right? Either way, you are spending your time, but you, know, you can get a lot more learning for your kids. It's a lot less boring to actually do something instead of just be watching a child like a hawk saying, get back to work, get back to work. So what I would say you know, now, you know, at least, at least for, you know, for the large majority of kids under 12, I would just say that homeschooling is a no-brainer. And when people say they're not doing it, I, I, mean, I really, you know, like, you know, again, if you've got an option to send your kid to regular school, then they're getting at least daycare. But right now, you're not getting any daycare from the school. So if you're not getting that, then you might as well actually go and teach. You know, unless you don't know your ABCs and arithmetic yourself, you're qualified. How does homeschooling work in terms of the curriculum, the credits, and things like that? I mean, do, do, do schools, uh, school districts look at that as something that's, uh, usable and applicable to, you know, moving on to get your high school diploma, for example? Right. So it varies tremendously by state. I know the state that I'm in, Virginia, very well. So, and you know, yeah, the answer is that if you are a homeschooler, you are not going to have a normal high school diploma. However, if you know, you, there, there's nothing stopping you from applying to college, and mostly, you know, like, large majority of colleges now are very open to homeschoolers, the key thing is that you don't only want to say, I homeschooled my kid and he's great. Yeah, if that's all you've got, then, then colleges are not going to be very interested in you. On the other hand, if you've got standardized test scores, if you make an effort to get outside certification, I think any of people often recommend how about go and, uh, you know, and, take, and take a few classes at your community college or something like that, so you supplement it and show like, it's not just his dad who says that he's great. He's got A's from a community college. So, again, you know, you basically just need to be thinking about what can I do to reassure colleges that my kid actually is going, is going to be ready to do the work. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.